0: If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books.
1: That Yeshua who is preached by the apostles in the gospels and in the epistles is the only means of salvation as we're calling Yeshua means.
0: In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly, uh, doctor, believing the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic.
1: The the new covenant is not time bound. That is to say that the the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith.
0: In other words, that salvation, salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. Wednesday, May 13th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 300. Quarantine haircut or black market barber, you decide. My name is Caleb Haig.
1: <laughs> and desperately in need of a either one of those. <laughs> I'm Rob Banoff.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I gotta say, I just like to commend all the black market barbers out there who are fighting the power and getting giving haircuts anyway. Good on you! Oh yeah, how's it going, man? You enjoying quarantine still, or what? What are we at, like oh, day? Who 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 can count?
1: I don't know, man. It's crazy.
0: This is ridiculous. Uh yes. Oh well, well, what can you do? Um, we've had an interesting, interesting week on the so. uh, on the YouTube comment trail. Oh yeah it's uh it's been in- yeah I, I mean I don't know what else, I don't know what else to say it's just uh it's been interesting, so and that's what we're gonna talk about today um yeah, what's been going on with your congregation you guys uh <clears throat> you guys uh been we, meeting online just still
1: doing yeah just doing a uh, live stream um which is you know, it's, it's just,
0: it's not real community. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's tough. Yeah. yeah, it is. No doubt. We're trying to do the same thing. I think we're going to, we're going to fight the power, uh, and, and try to meet this, uh, this Saturday, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take maybe the constitution with us. And if they, uh, if the cops show up, we'll just say we have a permit. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, uh, I mean, it's I suppose cool we could lunch. just jump right in. Um, we do have different things that we could talk about today. Maybe we should start with this one. This, I mean, this is an interesting one because I think obviously anyone who listens to the intro to this show knows that, uh, Rob and I hold the doctrines of ge- grace. <clears throat> Pardon me. By the way, the allergies here, I don't know about you, but allergies in, in my side of the state, everybody's got allergies now because the pollen is just ridiculous this year And so people are coughing and sneezing all over the place. And everybody also is scared of coronavirus. So anytime anybody coughs, it's like, you know, like people in the store, like, treat them like the plague. So that's been really fun. Um, Okay. Anyway, I got the the allergies. So there you go. Okay, so let's get back to this. Any of our regular listeners know that we hold to the doctrines of grace. And uh, anyone who listens to the intro knows that we – We hold to the doctrines of grace. For those who don't know what the doctrines of grace is, we use that term instead of what many people use, which is Calvinists. We are Calvinists, but we use the term doctrines of grace. Um, This has been a point of discussion for a lot of people with us because, as you may or may not know, the Torah movement in general, which stems out of the Pentecostal movement uh, it began as an outreach to the Jewish people. Uh, this sparked Messianic Judaism in the 70s, really kind of took off in the, in the 1970s. And then this kind of morphed in the early 90s and into the late 90s into something called the Hebrew Roots Movement. And so uh, Rob and I both do not consider ourselves even a part of the Hebrew Roots Movement Uh, We've talked about that at length, but uh, with all that said, the the birthing of of the Torah movement in general comes from an Arminian standpoint, Arminian being more of a free will model. So this has been a point of contention for a lot of people against us. Let's read what Julie has to say. She says, I was taught Calvinism is a very negative light that ended up lending itself to doctrines. Of inclusiveness and universalism. But the scriptures make it plain that there are the elect of God. However, I don't see it as uh, damnation for the rest of the world, but for blessing and being a light to the nations. I see it with the story of calling the Israelites out of Egypt, and I wonder if the elect will be those who rule and reign with Christ during the millennial reign. For the benefit of the entire world, thoughts. Okay, this is a this is a a a line of thought, and I'll pass this over to you here in just a few seconds, Rob. This is a line of thought, and even R.C. Sproul, when he was alive, uh, taught on this. One of the Armenian uh, train train of thoughts is that uh, when when it talks about the elect of God, when it talks about the elect, it's talking about His chosen people, i.e., Israel and those who attach themselves to Israel. And therefore, it's not talking about individuals. Now, R.C. Sprawl, rightfully in my mind, uh, exegeted Romans 9 saying that no, in fact, if we take the examples that are given by Paul in Romans 9, they are of individuals not, uh, and individuals' actions. So for instance, Pharaoh is one of Paul's key figures in Romans 9 to prove right. this. And a lot of people say, oh, well, Pharaoh represents the nation of Egypt in that story. But the problem with that is that his rulers and even the people of Egypt didn't want, they wanted him to let the people of Israel go. There's a couple of times within the Exodus narrative where the people and the elders, his advisors say, please just let these people go. And what does Pharaoh do? He hardens his heart and says no. And so this is an individual who is making these choices and who is going against God. So I, once again, think that this goes back to individual election. Thoughts, Rob? Go.
1: Yeah, I just pulled up Romans 9 because this, um, you know, we just briefly touched on this. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, it says, though, this, I'm looking at verse 11. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her. The older will serve the younger. So um,
0: and people are gonna say, Oh, that's that's talking about nations. Jacob is well, a nation, and Esau is right. a nation. But the problem is is that within that narrative, it flips. Jacob becomes the ruler of Esau, not just a, a nation. It's he's talking about an individual person and an individual story within the Torah.
1: Yeah, in verse 16, Paul says, So then it does not depend on the one who wills, and it's singular. Right. It, it's the one who wills or the, or the one who runs, but on God who has mercy. So, you know, it, it, it's similar uh, language to it, the gospel of John, where Jesus is not born. He's talking about those who Yeshua gave them, exousia, it says, to become the children of God, not born of the will of man or the will of flesh, but born, you know, but born of God. And that's, it's because our new creation life comes from a creative act of God, not of, not of our own self. Right. Our flesh can only produce more flesh.
0: (laughs) And actually, you know, uh, John Piper just did a great video. Now that we're having this conversation, I realize I probably should have clipped this, this, uh, this video. I don't know if it was recent or if, or if uh, somebody just sent it to me recently, but Basically, somebody asked the question to John Piper: Does this conversation really matter? And they bring up, I think, C.S. Lewis, or maybe Piper brought up C.S. Lewis. I listened to the clip, but I don't remember very well. My memory is not that great. Um, anyway, Piper makes the point that yeah, this this conversation about whether or not the doctrine, you know, how God saves us, is actually very important, and what we're talking about proves this point. The reason why is because. How we view the doctrines of grace, whether or not God elected some, didn't elect others, whether or not he chose the elect from the foundations of the world or not, whether or not he gives free will or he gives enough grace so that it evens the playing field, this is an Arminian thought, uh, that now all of a sudden it evens the play, playing field and we have enough grace to make the, a choice yes or no, and therefore we choose God, These kind of these kind of ideas the person writing in asks a very good question that we've been asked before too, which is, does that really matter? I mean, who cares? And granted, it's not a matter of salvation. In other words, I have, there are people in, in the congregation that I attend that, that certainly believe in uh, a free will model. So I'm not going to say, oh, I can't fellowship with you or you're not really a Christian or any of these kind of things. But does the conversation matter? I think the answer is absolutely yes, for this reason. How we understand these points and these uh, matters of the doctrines of grace affect how we translate the rest of Scripture. It becomes a hermeneutical point, and we've we've tried to show this before. I see this especially when you listen to people preach who are, uh, you know, avid free will model. Uh, Theology people, for instance, Doctor Michael Brown is one that comes to mind. He's debated uh, James White on the doctrines of grace, and James White is one of the people who actually helped me come to my understanding of the doctrines of grace. Now, this was before, uh, you know, I used to hold to Arminian theology, and uh, so anyway, I I think that how we how we view these matters actually, basically, you know. And this is why when people say, oh, well, I don't believe in Armenian theology. You know, I don't believe, believe in a free will model and I don't believe in, in uh, the doctrines of grace. I kind of, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle or whatever. Well, you can say that. But the truth is, is that, you know, there is. They
1: don't, they don't understand what's at stake, I, I think.
0: It's not just that. But, yeah, I mean, there might be some. I think that there might be a little of both going on. But ultimately, the fact of the matter is is, you either believe that God predestined or he didn't. And you know James White makes the point very poignantly that uh, a, a free will model inevitably, inevitably will bring people to open theism, which is the idea that God doesn't, isn't in control. He doesn't know the outcome. He's just, just giving a, an education. Well, here's the guess. other thing. It
1: depends. It, it puts too much weight. See, what, what Paul says is that we, we, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And our earthen vessels break. the The, the man um, is it in is it in Hosea Hosea where it says that the 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 chesed of man is like the dew, like the the faithfulness of man is like dew. It's like there in the morning and then it's gone.
0: It's yeah, it rises. Right? Like
1: you're, if your if your if, if your walk with the Lord depends on you, you're gonna fall. You're gonna fall away, and you're, you're which means you're never which means you're not really. You're not really understanding. We just read Luke this last week. We're reading through Luke. So we read Luke 14, where it talks about the the counting the cost, you know, and, and you can only be my disciples if you hate your mother and your father and your wife, your children, your brother, sister, and even your own self. And you have to take up your cross and follow me, right? And because and, and, it's all these crowds are following him. And why is he doing that? Why, why not just say, oh, everybody, come on, everybody. You know, there's a huge crowd following him. But the dividing line, what, what we are able to stand on is when our own heart fails us, God's faithfulness remains. This like uh, when Peter, Peter, right? I'll die with you, Lord. I'll die with you. Right. He says, listen, you know, I know you're zealous and everything, but, you know, so you're going to deny me but I've, but I've already interceded. I've prayed for you. I've
0: prayed for you. Right. And you're
1: going to be restored. And then you're going to, you're going to build up your brothers. So Peter's just like, I'm all in, I'm all in. He, he would be kind of an Armenian kind of viewpoint there. I'll die with you. What he doesn't realize is when the testing comes, he's going to, he's going to falter and fall and crumble, but it's because of Yeshua's intercession for him and Yeshua's will that you're mine, Peter, you're mine. You belong to me. When you fail, you're still mine. But Peter doesn't, he's in the dark with respect to that because he hasn't matured spiritually to know, he doesn't even know what's going on. And and he can't be expected to even know, right? Because Yeshua is telling all, he's telling them, you know, the son of man will be handed over and crucified. And they're like, no. So the idea is, and in 1 John, uh, it says, you know, even if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. What's he saying? He's saying that that your faith will falter. Your salvation is not based on your faithfulness. It's based on Messiah's faithfulness. Right. And his you belong to him. You are a possession. You are not you're not a you're not you're not a possession of Yeshua based on you working really hard. To impress him to get in and then if you ever and you want to leave you can just leave whenever you want that's that's just not the way it works right but you are if you belong to messiah paul writes in galatians if you belong to messiah you are abraham's seed your heirs according to promise you you know some people say, like, oh well, that means i'm just a robot you know the, the only time in the torah where it goes wrong with israel with Moses or Aaron, it's when they come up with their own ideas. <laughs> it, hang on, you know, my,
0: my, 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 father once said to, to me, if, because I used to use this, I used to use that exact argument. I am not a robot. God did not make a bunch of robots that were going to, you know, just do what he wanted. And my father <laughs> said to me, you're right. He didn't because if he did, none of us would sin.
1: That's exactly right. Look at when, when does Moses falter? Moses falters when all of a sudden he gets so upset and then he strikes the rock and he says, what do I need to do? And he he, yeah. and God says, you failed to trust in me and to sanctify my name. Right. And what it shows is that if Moshe had a, a moment of free will, that was it. Aaron, when if Aaron had a moment of free will, <laughs> it's when he did its disobedience. I, free yeah. will in the Bible, the free will is always disobedient to God.
0: I wouldn't call it free will. I'd call it will, well, but yes. That, yeah, you, our, what I
1: mean is, quote, yeah, free. Right? Our, it's actually our, bondage. It's actually yeah, bondage exactly. to sin.
0: Yeah. Our, our will is uh, is is sinful, hence sin. Yeah,
1: the flesh produces flesh. That's what it says in the Gospel of John. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit.
0: And before, people, a nu- if, before people start writing comments on this YouTube clip, uh, Calvinism— uh, Historically, has always said that God does not is not the author of sin. It is man that sins. So there is will. There's just not free will. This is I mean, this is the comment that always comes. Oh, so you believe that God makes us sin? No. Yeah, and
1: what Luth- Luther called uh, what he called uh, the bondage of the will. He he wasn't going to call it free will. He says right. it's 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 slavery to sin,
0: or slavery to Christ.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so the very image of slave means that you're a possession, right? It, you can't, you're, you're not a slave. And then like, well, I can, you know, I could leave whenever I want. And then you're, you're mixing.
0: You're mixing like, things that essentially differ.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So
0: yeah, that's a good question. All right. Thanks, Julie. Great question. Um, and I just put our producer. I don't even up. know. I don't remember what her question was. <laughs> did we answer, like, did I we... I think so. I I mean, it was a good conversation nonetheless. Um, so before we go on, and we'll get into this now, we'll get into our main topic now. Um, but before we go on, if you'd like to be a part of the conversation, 253-465-3205, that's our comment line. You can call, and uh, no one's going to answer that phone except for an answering machine. You can yell at us. You can scream at us. You can say you love us. You can... Pray for us. Do whatever you want, um, and we listen to every single one of them. At least I do. Uh, I send most of them to Rob too. And then uh, you can also send us email c.hagatorresource.com at c.h.e.g.g at torresource.com. Don't forget that this show is not only brought to you by your beloved producers, executive producers, and uh, well, executive producers, associate producers, and all who support this show, but also. It's brought to you by Tor Resource. Go to Tor Resource and find all sorts of wonderful resources free and paid. Okay. Well, let's jump in. Uh, this is always an interesting, interesting one um, because there's a certain person who always comments, but we'll, we'll leave his, his comments. I, I shouldn't say always. When he does comment, he never is very happy with us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's go to John first. John left this on so I clipped a part of our our show last week where we were talking about scholars versus Hebrew roots teachers. okay Now I want to make this very clear before we start this conversation for anyone who is uh, who, who who is listening and is going to fly off the handle at this I don't hold I don't believe myself to be part of the Hebrew roots movement. And I believe that most Hebrew roots teaching, like most false teaching, has some things that are very good. Even within Mormonism, they say that Jesus Christ came down from heaven in the form of a man and died on the cross for the sins of the elect. Okay, well, that's true. And that's the core of the gospel, isn't it? But you got so much other stuff that's wrong that we would say that they're heresy. Now, I wouldn't put the Hebrew Roots Movement in that uh, category. In fact, I think that there are a lot of people in the Hebrew Roots Movement, if not most people in the Hebrew Roots Movement, that are genuine believers and saved. The problem that I have with the Hebrew Roots Movement is that the teachers, predominantly, I would say 90% of the time, have not been trained in any biblical uh, training at all, whether it's uh, from a mentor or anything like that. It's mostly internet studies. And the problem that you have is they're bringing in a lot of heretical and non-biblical forms of interpretation and also doctrines that are wrong. And therefore, I see this as false teaching. So the the people who are going to push against this, you wouldn't push against this if I was talking about Catholicism. You wouldn't push against you know Catholic teachers. You wouldn't push against this if I was talking about Mormon teachers or whatever. Just because you follow a bunch of these people doesn't make them right. It doesn't mean that they don't have wrong... Wrong things that they're saying. So, I mean, I'm sorry, but when you bring things in like Paleo-Hebrew interpretation, how do you think that we got the Book of Mormon? It's from people not having a solid faith that believed in
1: truth. Yeah, that's a good point, Kill. because like, one of the things we look at in our critical issues class, which Tim Haig and I co-teach usually in the springtime at Tor Resource Institute, plug, cha-ching, or what do you do like when you do a plug, like a shameless plug, Um, is we look at- Weights and measures. (laughs) Let me get a tape measure. We look at those texts that were written, publications that were in the colonial times in America, over the 200 years before Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon. And one of the themes was identifying in Native American Indians as the tribes of Israel was one popular idea. And right. another was that different native tribes spoke some mysterious dialect of Hebrew. So you had the people who are totally uneducated that are going around telling, oh, this tribe speaks <laughs> speaks like Hebrew and what I think of it just like the people who with the, like the Hebrew word pictures except it's shifted from it, it's this it represents what I call folk religion right it's folk religion
0: well and and we see this not only I mean let's F-O-L-K. take <clears throat> let's talk let's take something like uh Judaism for instance you know we got the Kabbalah because yeah, of similar of, of similar stuff and mysticism and all this kind of stuff, and let me tell you something that has been used as a tool of Satan to, to the deceive idea that, the Jewish right, people, right.
1: and so the I idea mean that number, <coughs> gematria.
0: It's not just people. that the idea that you know that uh, Metatron and I mean all right. this mysticism that has <coughs> seeped into the the mm-hmm. religion of Israel, which is paganism. So I mean. People say, "Oh, it's just a different interpretation." No, it's it's, and it's forms right, and of it's interpretation. Contrary.
1: it's like you get to the gospel, and it's like any what can we do to hold on to as much as we can, but re, but still refuse the gospel message.
0: And here's the point: is that you know you got some Hebrew roots not teachers. That, not
1: that Hebrew roots are rejecting the gospel. You, you
0: have well, but that's just it. You have some Hebrew roots teachers who are who love the Lord and are trying really hard and you have other Hebrew Roots teachers who are deceiving their followers because they're not even telling them that they've given up on the Trinity. They're not even telling them that they've given up on the deity of Christ. They're just going along and trying to deceive their followers and give them all these, you know, get their followers to really enjoy what they're saying and then they slowly chip away at, you know, 66 book canon, at the deity of the Messiah, at the Trinity. All these things. And guess what? These foundational doctrines all of a sudden are being attacked. And people are, oh, I can't believe that this is happening in the Hebrew roots movement. Why not? Okay, so the question is this.
1: Why? Because we've had, we had, last time we talked about Hebrew roots, we had some really great people say, hey, we consider ourselves Hebrew roots. And, And so, and it helped me because I realized that it's not, not everybody who considers themselves Hebrew roots would have the same set of convictions. but in my experience, that's why I just clarify in my experience Hebrew roots is where that stuff emerges. It's like a cluster of that stuff and it also here's another example is a big issue now with the counting of the Omer. people who are counting the Omer like the Sadducees, you know and there's never in nowhere in the Bible is there ever a Sadducee that comes is a believer. And they rejected the resurrection of the dead you know so the very the whole pro premise of the passover connected to shabuot is broken in the whether you follow the sadducees or the essenes at qumran that it, but what we do have is priests and pharisees who flock into the faith By you know we learned that in the book of acts paul's a okay. pharisee so anyway that's just another example of where what I call folk religion. It's
0: let's let's go to some of these comments. Read your okay. Bible
1: as interpreted by experts.
0: John writes in. He says humility, because uh, Rob had said one of the points of of being of being a good scholar is first humility, and I'm, I want to expand on this. John says humility? Question mark. You guys are so arrogant, it's ridiculous. Who sets you on the th- throne to criticize and then lump all Hebrew roots teachers and associate them with your seven year old son? Then you talk about them walking in humility. Why don't you take your own advice? Pride comes before a fall, so watch your footing. Okay, John, great comment. Thank you very much for it. First of all, in the um, in the larger clip, you'll realize that we actually did say that this is not across the board. There are some some teachers who love the Lord and, and are are trying really hard, but here's the thing. And actually, we should probably read uh, Miguel's first comment as well, because it goes hand in hand. He says, you guys talking about humility and correctability is at best laughable and at worst hypocritical. Is your purpose to achieve the highest scholarly level you can reach or to bring people to Messiah? Serious question. Whom decides which scholarly academia makes one most scholarly? Is it the Jesu- Jesuit education, Fuller Theological Seminary, the Master's College, Arminianism, Calvinism? Do you seriously not believe Adonai through His spiritual direction and a, heart, uh, and a heart in search of the truth lead a man to His truth, or does it only come from graduating from Torah Resource Institute? John three ten through twenty one. I seriously try to humbly watch you and understand you, but your constant hammering on how much more scholarly you are than others just sounds like, or he says, how much more scholarly you are and others are not just sounds like nails on a chalkboard. Okay. And the comment now, first of all, I have never said that I'm more scholarly than anyone. In fact, I think that the idea of humility is when you start to go through any kind of biblical education, the very first thing that you realize is that you know nothing.
1: I feel the same way. I feel, I'm like, I'd like some examples, you know, it's, and and this is, this is the problem. He's painted a picture, but does he have any, any examples? Like,
0: well, and here's the other thing. I want, I want to also explain something very quickly. This show is a show where Rob and I get together, talk about theologies, and talk about whether or not we agree with them and think that they're biblical. Now, you wouldn't have this problem if we were talking about something that you disagreed with. If we got on here and we were, and we were talking about why Mormonism was wrong, I think Miguel would have no problem with it. The problem that he sees is that he agrees with these Hebrew root teachers. And the thing is, is that I haven't named anyone here.
1: Here's the other thing: we shouldn't. I'm not above being arrogant from or prideful. Okay, I'm just flesh and blood, right? You right. know. So I don't have a problem with someone saying, "Hey, Rob, I think you're being arrogant." You know? Okay, well, tell me about it. You know, but you know I've got blind spots. On the other hand, I also know that when someone is just confident in knowledge, that that's been tried and and tested in their faith walk and they're bold about just saying, calling, you know, light, light and dark, dark and good, good and evil, evil, you know, they're, they're people that might not like that. Right.
0: Um, I mean, so, look, here's, and
1: call that arrogant when in fact it's just, it's really just someone is just confident and you're just not for some reason wanting to,
0: to hear it this ultimately goes back to the idea of scholars versus hebrew roots teachers one of the reasons that the hebrew roots teachers i believe have a major problem is because many of them not all of them many of the hebrew roots teachers have no education and that actually brings pride they think that they, they think that they they're they're the, r-
1: the pride right that and i've seen that before the person who doesn't do the work they think and and this doesn't mean miguel means it means this but because uh, absolutely adonai by his ruach can accomplish whatever he wants yeah of course but but the way we have access you show me someone who knows the word of god without ever having a, a written bible we just don't have an example where god you know uh Mysteriously downloads the entire scripture into someone's memory, and knows it without ever learning from a uh, that through the larger church that Yeshua is building in the world. You know the access. It's like, do I just suddenly learn Hebrew and now I know Hebrew and I can just read Hebrew? Well, how do I even know what the what the canon is? Right there's not there is knowledge that's in the world, and this is it. The it's the very fact that God has given his word in writing and with scribal uh, traditions of copying and traditions of translation shows that it's in the hands of men. He's entrusted it in the hands of men. This is what Paul says, you know, what um, it's in Romans. I think it's, is it Romans three where he says, what's the value of circumcision, you know, much in every way unto them was entrusted the the, the oracles of God. Right, right. And then he says, well, what if, what if they were uh, unfaithful? He says, that does not null, uh that doesn't make their the unfaithfulness null- does, yeah. does not nullify the faithfulness of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. But what Paul is talking about, he's like, look, the scriptures are, were given into man's hands. And and even and Paul talks about this in second Corinthians that, you know, there's people, uh, children of Israel who have the, they have the written word of God, but there's a veil on there's a problem with the reading of it. There's not a problem that it's they have it. So what, what is this? It means that there's it's in the world. And I've never met, I you know, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but I've never met anyone, nor have I ever heard of anyone instantaneously who doesn't speak Hebrew or Greek, instantaneously learning those languages, learning biblical Hebrew, learning Greek, and then being able to open up. A Bible and read it and interpret it.
0: Hang on just a sec. Okay. And so- if
1: that doesn't happen, if that doesn't happen, then where do the ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of all Bible teachers, where do they learn scripture? Right. Someone's, they're, they're leveraged off labor that someone did before them, whether it was translating or creating grammars or just someone who uh, teaches them the language. That's by God's design.
0: But hang on just a sec. This goes back to, you know, the idea of humility. I have never said that I'm a scholar. I've never said that I know more than anyone. All I've said is that, and and here's a very good uh, example. When I go to the ETS and SBL, the scholars that have gone before me who have done the hard work, I don't have anything to, to I mean, these guys are giants. Now, my father— Rob, these guys can go and, and hold their own against these guys. I can't I, well, I, have, I,
1: I wouldn't even say thats
0: but I have yeah. education, but I'm, I'm, I mean I'm not putting myself on the level of these guys. and the thing is is that somebody says, "Oh well, you lump all the Hebrew roots teachers together. No, but most of the Hebrew roots teachers that I have seen have no education. You got guys who come from you know, there's a prominent teacher who used to be a masseuse in Florida. You got another Hebrew teacher that was that was a a detective. You got another Hebrew teacher who's a lawyer. You, you know, Hebrew roots teacher. You got all these guys. There's you know, they they think it's important to get all this training in, in their respective fields. Then once they're done with that field, they think, oh well, I'll just I'll just jump into this other field. I don't need any training in it. So let's go ahead and look at Miguel's second comment. He says I believe the title of your excerpt is scholars versus Hebrew roots teachers. It amazes me that you seem to show way more respect for those scholars who teach against the Torah of Yorevave because they are scholars. Stop right there. Once again, this shows that there is a misunderstanding of I agree that there are certain parts of the Torah that that uh, many scholars teach against. But this is actually a I believe this is how one believes application is to be made. This is they if you ask the Walter Kaiser, do you believe the tour has been done away with, which I asked him, by the way, in my interview, you can go listen to it. What does he say? No, of course not. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, come on, you can't just make it. You know, you 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 get upset at us for for, you know, making a large blanket statement against Hebrew roots teachers. But then you make a huge lumped together of all scholars that they believe that the Torah has been done away with. You're doing the exact same thing that you're getting mad at us for. He says, then those who aren't as educated as you, but are getting the message out. Again, I'll ask the question, which you didn't answer. I did answer, by the way. Do you not believe Adonai through his spirit? I want to put an emphasis on this. Do you not believe that Adonai through his spirit can teach his word to a man correctly or is an educational degree an absolute requirement to teach the gospel? Okay, let's stop that's for the, a, let's stop the, for a second. Let's stop for a that's second. That's the one
1: I was thinking about. That's that verse or that uh, passage. Go ahead.
0: Now he, well, he he clarifies. He says, and I want to come back to this one specific point. He clarifies. He says, I'm not talking about hierarchy. I don't know what that means. Are you talking about elders or what? I'm talking about bring the word to uh, to others because I don't remember Yeshua saying, therefore go forth and teach after you've become a scholar. You're right. Miguel is absolutely right in this. We all, all believers, if you have the Spirit of God in you, if you've come to faith in the Messiah Yeshua, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, however you want to say it, if you are part of the New Covenant, You are required, you are told by Yeshua to go and take that message to the other people. There's no doubt about it. I agree with you 100% on this, Miguel. We are to share our faith. It is the Great Commission. I have no problem with that. That's not what I'm talking about. The, The video that we made was not scholars versus believers. It was scholars versus Hebrew Roots teachers. The fact of the matter is is that there is a difference between your average sit-in-the-pew believer at church who goes and gets edified, gets lifted up, goes out and shares his faith with his next-door neighbor than there is with a person who has been put in charge of educating and put in charge of the spiritual growth of five people, ten people, a hundred people, a thousand people. It is a different charge, and this is one reason that that uh, the the gospel or that the Bible actually tells us that it is a good thing to to want, but that teachers are are judged more harshly. Why? It's not talking about every a- average believer. It's talking about people who take on the charge to become teachers and leaders and lead people in a spiritual life. And this, in my mind, requires education. Okay, back to,
1: could you read that one more time? His
0: Yes Adonai he teaching says, by his word. He says, again, I'll ask the question, which you didn't answer. Do you not believe Adonai, through his spirit, can teach his word to a man correctly?
1: Okay, pause right there. To teach his word. This is what I was trying to get at earlier. What seems to be and this kind of the same thing Caleb you were just saying, but it, it maybe from a slightly different way of describing it. The way that question, the way I hear that question, it covers it conceals an important thing, which is his word. What does he mean by his word? Does he mean I go to this I go to the Bible store and I buy a Bible? Now, now I have this Bible. Now that the Spirit of Adonai can teach me his word. Because the Bible now, I what that what it obfuscates, but it conceals is the that this is a work of man, that the actual Bible, that the millions of decisions that went into an ESV over against a King James, over against an NASB or a net Bible, there's there's clusters of men and women, sometimes I think sometimes maybe only men, like with the King James. I don't think there were any women involved there. Um that are making decisions, and there's teams, uh, there's hierarchy, there's a general editor. Sometimes it comes and, and will make decisions. There's, and, and we talk, we get into this in the Bible language classes because a lot of the translation work you start doing, whether you're doing Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic, the students are like, man, this is tough. Like, I can understand the language, but man, this is un- It's an unenviable seat. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's that not of the translator. <laughs> Because you're like, man, I can understand it in the Hebrew or in the Greek, but boy, I have to make a decision because English works differently than Greek. English works differently than Hebrew. So I have to make a decision. And then, so how do I make my decision? So I look to a larger theological commitment or framework. Well, I want to make sure that this nuance comes across or another, whereas an Armenian say, well, I want to make it a, a different nuance come across. So you, so... If it's it's simplistic, for me, overly simplistic, like not good, simplistic, to think that I go to the store and I buy a Bible and I've got ten translations to pick from and eeny meeny miny mo I grab one and then think that now God is just going to teach me His Word in a way that is on the same level of the person who's who's studying biblical Greek or biblical Hebrew. From curriculums of men that have that goes way, way, way back, and studying manuscripts and and textual variants and language issues from two thousand or three thousand years ago, they're not in the sa- they're not even in the same pool. Okay, hang they're on. not even in the same pool.
0: Hang on, just a sec, though. We we got we got a couple of things going on here. First of all, I'm not saying that someone needs a university education. That is not what I'm—I'm not saying you need to go to a seminary. Right, I
1: agree. No one's saying that. you,
0: You don't need seven years of school to be able to teach the Word. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not even saying that you necessarily need to go to a school. So, for instance, Charles Spurgeon never went to university. He never went to seminary. But his grandfather had a massive theological library, and from a very young age, Spurgeon decided to start reading those books, and he devoured that library. And this is one of the reasons that many scholars believe that uh, he was such an, uh, he was the prince of preachers, right? That's his nickname, is the prince of preachers. Why? Because he had a theological grounding. He was educated, whether he went to university or not. So that's number one. Number two, Christopher in the chat room asked this. He says, Quick question How many years at Torah Resource would you guys say would prepare someone to teach adequately? This is not a question that can be answered. And the reason why is because every person is different. I went to three years of Torah Resource Institute. I did it over four years, but I went to three years of Torah Resource Institute. I am horribly, horribly (laughs) ill-equipped still, and this has nothing to do with my teachers. When I started preaching, I realized very quickly I was not prepared for the task that was at hand, and I am still desperately trying to learn and trying to prepare myself. Part of what education does is make a person realize you are not as educated as you think. You need more. You need to read more. You need to study. It is a lifelong pursuit. And the thing is, is that you got these guys who, who they hear a great teaching on YouTube or they think it's a great teaching on YouTube. Something sparks in their mind and they think, aha, I'm going to run with this. And, and, you know, four months later, they have a ministry and they're teaching. This is a problem. This is one of the reasons that that the Christian church predominantly requires pastors to have an education, a formal education. It's not because you have to have like a degree in your hand to say, I can teach the Bible. But it teaches you the way to study the Bible. It teaches you the languages and how difficult they are, even if you don't have a good grasp on them. I don't have a good grasp on Hebrew. I'm still studying Hebrew. And I, I, my grasp on Hebrew is, is atrocious. My father I'm still,
1: I'm a student of Hebrew. I'm a student of Aramaic. I'm a student of Greek. You know, I, I have the opportunity to teach these languages because I have been equipped to do so and I can help other people. I look at it like, you know, people who've climbed a mountain, you know, they can help other people who want to climb the mountain. They can, Hey, okay, so here's the gear you need. Follow me up this path. Watch it right here. Be careful. You know? And, and that's kind of the way it is, but the oh, person keep, who
0: keep going, go keep going. No, I was
1: just, I was just saying that, that, that that's what it's like for me. That is to get other people up to have the Look at the view from here. Look at the view from here. Right. It's not, it's not all of a sudden that, you know, I own the mountain or I know every little uh, bit of the mountain, the more I climb, I spend time climbing and hiking on the mountain, the more, uh, the more it I become inter, it becomes internal this is gets into that memory thing you know the more you hang out in that space the more differentiations you make about it the more discernments the more uh, aha moments but the person who's down at the foot of the mountain um, and then just looking at pictures that people have given them and saying oh I know that you know I can go teach the mountain now you've never actually, set foot on the mountain, you know? It's just an analogy.
0: here's Here's two aspects of this that I think many people don't actually consider. First of all, if you think you've been called to be a teacher of the Word of God, it is a very high charge. You're handling the very Word of God, and you're bringing it from the Bible to the people so that they can understand it. If you don't think that this deserves some education, if you don't, I mean, I don't care if you, if you think of this, if you're 60 years old and you think God has called you now after your job to come to preach the word to people, don't you think it's worth four years to learn how to do that? By the time you're 64, you'd have a very good education and you'd be very well equipped. Why do people think that they can just jump in? That's number one. I, in other words, for for you teachers out there, I think you des, you owe it not only to yourself but also to the Word of God to get some education. I'm not saying you have to go to university or anything. I'm saying that there, you know, find some form of education in biblical matters. You know, attach Here, yourself to a here's disorder. what
1: we need to remember. Here's what we need to remember. If we're going to apply, and it sounds like we're applying, applying Matthew 28. Matthew 28. <clears throat> The, at the very end there, it, the presupposition is that you're going to learn from, you're going to become a learner because the word disciple here is a verb. You're going to be, you're going to, we say make disciples in English. So we have the verb make, and then we have the noun disciples, but it's to disciple. And it, it, it's just a single word. And what does that imply? That means a curriculum of education. That means people are somewhere and then they are learning from people. Right. They're learning from disciples of Yeshua. They're learning the truth. They're learning about the word became flesh and dwelt among us. They're learning about um, the, the covenant promises to Abraham that, that the seed would come, right? That uh, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That um, repentance from dead sin, right? From idolatry, you know, those who came from pagan backgrounds, you know, they're not of the stock of Abraham, right? They hear, they abandon all that. And they, they, they're learning a new, uh, it's, there's a, I use the word curriculum. It's like new stuff. And, and that takes time and it takes trust in the person who's teaching you. I mean, imagine, imagine this, imagine, well, one good example is the, uh, In the book of Acts, remember, there's the Ethiopian eunuch who had come uh, to Jerusalem. I think he's is he leaving? I haven't read it for a while. I think it's Acts. Is that chapter eight?
0: You've been there recently. He's leaving, and he's he's going on the reading Isaiah, right? He's reading Isaiah, and he's
1: and it's not that he can't read. It's not like oh, you know, this text is in some weird characters. I need someone like no. He reads it, and he's under he understands it, but he doesn't know the application. He's reading Isaiah fifty-three. Is he, right. It's like, who's he talking about? And the Lord said, "Okay." So the Lord created this moment, where you have the person who's who has access to the Word of God. They've got the written Word of God, but the humility in the eunuch's heart is, "I want to understand this, but I don't." Right. And God provides at that precise moment, right, someone who knows and explains, and then he, boom, he gets baptized. Right. That's that to me is the picture. That's the picture of, of you the presence of the Word of God, in the writing, the hum, the heart prepared by God with humility and desire, and the childlike faith. And then God provides a teacher, someone who who connects the dots. Right. And Yeshua gets the glory, and the person increases in now has like knowledge of the kingdom of God in a way that they were like, wow, I didn't even know this was where this was in his life from there on out, you know, for the rest of his life, that eunuch is like, boom, now he's prepared. He can share about Isaiah 53 with someone else down the road, for example. Anyway, that's just another scripture that comes to mind of how this unfolds.
0: I want to go back real quick. You know, the the idea that uh, anyone can become, you know, that basically anyone who has the Holy Spirit can become a teacher and can be a pastor or a Bible teacher. What this does is it degrades the office of pastor and of teacher. And it makes people think, oh, my pastor is just, you know, it's no big deal. And in some ways that's true. We should understand that our pastors and our leaders are men that are sinners, just like the rest of us. They need prayer. They need help. Sometimes they need people to come to them and say, how are you doing? Are you okay? Those kind of things. Right, I mean, they're people too, but at the same time, the idea that oh, anyone can do this it's not a big deal. All you have to do is read a couple of Wikipedia articles and you can be a pastor it it significantly degrades the fact that it is a difficult, hard task to become a mm-hmm. person with the knowledge to do what this what what God is requiring of you
1: i remember I remember twenty years ago now, um you know, my family was part of a messianic community and We had people that were morally, you know, exemplar people, you know, and, but we didn't have, there was no one in leadership that had training. And so what happened was we would get internet and someone would go on the internet and, you know, learn a little bit of this, learn a little bit of that. And then teachers would come through, you know, this is still coming on. There was a thing called the Prophecy Club. Remember, this is where Michael Rood had his circles, right? And you had different teachers coming, selling their wares. They're like peddling their little, whatever their little book was or their idea. This is where the time of that messianic seal. Remember the right. messianic seal? Oh, guy had he toured. Oh, I saw this in Jerusalem. It's from the church that James was at. Right. And um, uh, and you know, selling his book. And that's how that's that's how that menorah with the star of David and the fish got started. And, and, well, but you know, the, the Jews don't want anybody to see this. So it was like, it's something you can never actually show. You, what you're describing. And, but it will, let me finish in the end. That community went through, there were so many different teachers brought in. It didn't survive. It, it, it was really, there's so much pain and sadness on the other side of it. And I think God God allowed it to happen because he's like, look, you guys are doing going according to your, the desires of your own heart. You're going at what, seeing what's right in your own eyes. And there's there was no corrective teacher.
0: See, but Thankfully,
1: there was there was a, a few people that knew your dad. Um,
0: see, and that and uh, that's what I was going to say is that the, is that I was on the totally opposite side of the coin of that. Now, keep in mind that the, at the time that this was going on, I was young.
1: This is like, I'm talking 99, 2000, like right around See, I, I'm thinking
0: even before that. I'm thinking like 95, 96. I was 14, 15 years old. But the difference was is that we had, in the community that we were a part of, we had four elders. And some of them were trained, like well-trained, my father being one of them. And when those teachers came through on that, on that prophecy train, they said, not a chance. This doesn't line up. And because of that, a lot of people in the community were shielded from those things. They didn't buy into the, you know, Messiah's coming back on nine nine and they didn't come, you know, none of this stuff. So that that difference of having leaders that were trained shows the difference between the congregation that you were a part of that broke up and the congregation that I was a part of that is still alive today. Finally, now, M- in
1: both cases, right, there's there's times where a oh, community yeah. goes through trials and of people course. leave, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. That's just the, the nature of the deal.
0: Um, Miguel finally says, and I had written, you know, we, we went back and forth on this, but M- Miguel finally says, um, he says that because I had said, yeah, I think it's important for a, a, a leader and a teacher I said, anyone can share the gospel, of course, but a leader and a teacher of a community should have an education. He says, that's such an outrageous false equivalency. It's like saying you should never change the oil in your vehicle or a flat tire because you're not a trained mechanic. Okay, hang on just a sec. I love this analogy because I'm going to take the analogy and I'm going to say, you're right. Every believer should be able to handle the scripture at some point. I can get under my car. I can pull that bolt out and I can drain my oil out. I can put that bolt back in and I can put the oil in. And that's like any believer who can share the gospel with his next-door neighbor. And I think that's exactly—every believer should strive to be able to have some efficiency within the Scripture. What I'm not going to do is try to change one of my engine heads. And this happened to my wife and me. Her car, when we, when we first got together, her car blew up. Our mechanic said, you need a new—you know, your head's busted. What am I going to do? Try to take the engine out myself? Try to take the entire engine apart and replace the head? Not a chance. I have no training in that. Now, could I watch a YouTube video on how to do that? Probably. Am I going to do that? Of course not. But you think that it's, I mean, I liken the the handling of scripture with surgery. You're not going to choose a doctor. Well, here's, um,
1: here's here's an example, too, on that. So I remember, so we had, uh, uh, you know, I had someone to help me. And we were like, we got to change because the water pump in our car went out. And I could do oil. I've done, I can do oil, I can do brakes, you know, I can do stuff like that. The water pump in this, it was a like a 1994 Taurus or something like that. And it was like, oh man, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't like the old Chevy engines or anything. Like it's, everything's tight. So you have to take all this stuff out just to get to it. And there's bolts all over the place. And we used, you know, we had... The manual
0: yeah.
1: we had youtube videos how you know. many
0: bolts did you have left over when yeah, the whole thing no was put, put in the point is this <clears throat> in the
1: end i told justin who helped me do it i said if you, I, I couldn't have done this without you i mean because there was so there was stress there was a learning curve there was the the con the fear of the consequences like this is my family's vehicle right and if i can't fix it you know we're you know but I got to do this because we can't afford to take it. And right. so all these things are pressure on, on the dad, you know what I mean? But it's like with the teamwork, with the drive to do it, taking breaks when I'm getting stressed, you know, come back at it. We can do this. We can do this. Squeezing into this place, getting it done. It's like, yeah, we did it. But you know what? We followed the directions of people who knew how to do it and had mapped it out. We didn't invent we didn't we didn't just say, Oh, you know, I think I'm just gonna use this kind of bolt because I don't need to listen to the guys who wrote the the book. Right. It's like the gra- Hebrew grammar book. I don't need to follow the Hebrew grammar because I know that the olive is an ox head <laughs> and I know the bet is a house. So right. who who those arrogant people, man, they have they buy their Hebrew grammars. The Spirit of God doesn't need grammars.
0: And there are people was, who actually they, believe that. There are people who will like, actually say... I, I, I Okay,
1: if that's yeah. where you're at, then, you know, have fun. Call me in a couple of years and we'll see how you're doing,
0: you know? Here's here's the end I'll be all point. When it comes to teaching and preaching and guiding people in their spiritual life, this is such a daunting task. And it's such... I mean... Think of it this way. You're holding people's spiritual lives in your hands. You might not think that, but if you don't, if you are teaching, if you are a teacher and a preacher and you don't think that, then you have not understood the calling that, that people will rest their spiritual decisions and their spiritual theology and those things on what you're saying. That is a huge undertaking, whether it's one person, two people, three people, or a 1,000 people. And the fact is, is that we should not take that lightly. As pastors, as preachers, as teachers of the Word of God, we should be on our knees praying daily that the Lord helps us handle the Word correctly. And if you're not willing to get some education for that, you shouldn't be in this. You need to find a different thing to do. Whether you're retired and you want something to do, take up golfing. If you're looking for a profession, you think God's put you into the uh, the realm of teaching and preaching, that is absolutely wonderful. Go get some education. I don't understand what the what the push is against this, you know. And we got teachers in the in the Hebrew roots me- movement and in the Torah movement who call seminary cemeteries. What is wrong with people? It's so sad, and it's just it makes no sense to me. And to me. A person who's going to get up in front of a group of people, whether it's on the internet or whether it's in person, and teach with no education, that is arrogance. That's saying, I know better. As opposed to somebody who is humble, and you know, it grieves me that people think that we're not humble, but as opposed to people who are humble who say, you know what, I don't know at all. I need to sit back. I need to learn something from other people. That is humility, and also being being willing to be corrected, which is a very difficult thing to learn. Okay, I think that uh, that will do it for today. It's been a long, arduous conversation, <laughs> but I hope it helps. I I mean, look, I want I I want to end this whole conversation with an encouragement. If you feel like the Lord has has, uh, brought you into ministry or brought you to teach, it is a very high calling. And the Lord brings people that that are special people to do that. And uh, Lord knows that some of us are struggling to understand why the Lord has brought us into a place like this. If you are in that place and you need some education, find somebody who has been educated, whether it's a person, whether it's a school, whether it's whatever. I mean, if you have the time and the ability to sit down in a, a theological library like Spurgeon did, start reading and find somebody to help you uh, go through that stuff. Uh, I think that uh, as as leaders, we need to be able to learn first and foremost. And this is what I think is the the major point that I'm trying to make to people out there. Be encouraged uh, and be encouraged in the Word and in the Lord. Anything else to say, Rob? Nope. We got a new video up on Messiah Matters More. If you if you uh, support this show for as little as $5 a month, you can go to Messiah Matters More and uh, find our new video. It's on memorization and believers. And Rob and I talk about that. We're starting to put new videos up on Messiah Matters More on Monday mornings. So look for them in, on Monday afternoon if you are one of our supporters. We would like to thank all of our supporters and our producers don't forget to be a part of this conversation, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205 and see We We base this show off of ideas and comments that you guys make, and uh, th- that's how we find our topics. So, um, yeah, we hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, because Messiah Matters.